I guess uh, I'll make a remark before we get going. So we should be thankful for what we have. I, uh, I was just on retreat with one of my very, one of my very good friends, had to leave the retreat early because of his mother, go back to Malaysia. He's a priest from Malaysia. His father died two years ago, and uh, the priest called up his mother and said, uh, well, since your son says a Latin Mass, I'm just calling to let you know that he won't be able to say Mass for his father in the parish or actually on any diocesan property. And he had, and that's, that's the sole pastoral care the priest gave to his mother when, when his father died. So they actually ended up, the Buddhists invited him. So he said, Mass, and the, Buddha, the, 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 the guys are chanting on the other side of some wall. And the Muslims and the Hindus brought the food. I mean, he heaven help those priests in that diocese, you know, so we had to pray for those people because the burial of the dead is, is a corporal work of mercy. And it's just astonishing. But be thankful for what we have and remember the people uh, that don't. Today on the Great Feast of Pentecost, we're going to revisit a topic uh, that we've looked at before. Now, to put it all into context, we'll take a moment to make sure we have a clear grasp of our actual objective uh, situation. And do that with this quote from the Pope. Leo XIII, quote, The race of man, after its miserable fall from God, separated into two diverse and opposite parts, of which the one steadfastly contends for truth and virtue, the other those things which are contrary to virtue and to truth. The one is the kingdom of God on earth, namely the true church of Jesus Christ. And those who desire from their heart to be united with it so as to gain salvation must of necessity serve God and his only begotten son with their whole mind and with an entire will. The other is the kingdom of Satan in whose possession and control are all whosoever follow the fatal example of their leader and of our first parents, those who refuse to obey the divine internal law, who have many aims of their own and contempt of God, and many aims also against God. Close quote, the vicar of Christ. Okay, so mankind is divided into two, and only two camps. One camp is headed towards heaven, it's the kingdom of God on earth, the true church of Jesus Christ. Another camp is headed towards hell and is the kingdom of Satan. And that's not all. Thanks to Adam, we all start life in the kingdom of Satan, excepting, of course, our Lord, the Blessed Mother. So mankind is divided into only two camps, the kingdom of God on earth, the true church of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of Satan. And we're all born as members of the kingdom of Satan. And that's still not all. See, God is under absolutely no obligation to move us into his kingdom. No one can say to God that it's unfair if he doesn't move him out of the kingdom of Satan into his kingdom. So our actual situation is that mankind is devoted, divided in two camps. And there's only two camps. The kingdom of God on earth, the true church of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of Satan. And God's under absolutely no obligation whatsoever to move any of us out of the kingdom of Satan into his camp. And if he has, it's a pure mercy. It's just a mercy. 
Okay. So over the past year, we've considered from several points of view in order to make sure that we have the correct Catholic understanding, because in this area there are lots of misunderstandings, we've considered from several points of view the dogma that there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. In order to deepen our understanding of this dogma, today we'll meditate on the sermon given by St. Peter on that first Pentecost. And in the process, we'll rely heavily on the analysis of the late, great Monsignor Joseph Clifford Fenton. Monsignor Fenton was one of the outstanding Thomistic theologians of the last century at Vatican II. Monsignor Fenton was a member of the Preparatory Theological Commission, the Doctrinal Commission, the Commission on Faith and Morals. He also served as a, a, a prietus, which is a, this is a fancy Latin word that means a theological expert. He was a theologian uh, at the Council for Cardinal Ottaviani, who was the head of the Holy Office. So I've condensed an entire chapter from one of his books into just, uh, you know, paragraphs. So what follows is essentially a very long uh, edited quote. With all that as background, let's first listen to the end of that great Pentecost sermon preached by our holy patron, St. Peter. St. Peter, quote, Do penance and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with very many of the words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. They therefore that received his words were baptized, and there were added in that day about 3,000 souls. Close quote the Holy Ghost. Do penance and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. They, therefore, that received his word were baptized, and there were added in that day about 3,000 souls. While discussing St. Peter's sermon, Monsignor Fenton points out, quote, Both the text and the context of the Acts of the Apostles assure us that the people who heeded St. Peter's injunction to save themselves from this perverse generation entered the true church of God, the kingdom of God on earth. They entered the Catholic Church. Now, if St. Peter's words on this occasion meant anything at all, they signified that the individuals to whom he was speaking were in a situation which would lead them to eternal ruin if they continued in it. They were described as belonging to a perverse generation. They were told to save themselves by getting out of it. The institution which they would leave by the very fact of leaving this perverse generation was none other than the Catholic Church itself. The clear implication of St. Peter's statement is that the church, the kingdom of God, was the only institution or social unit of salvation. Not to be within the society was to be within the perverse generation within which a man was faced with eternal and entire spiritual ruin. To leave the perverse generation was to enter the church. By God's institution, the process of salvation itself involves a passage from the kingdom of Satan into the church. Now, for the proper understanding of this doctrine, it is imperative to understand the religious condition of the people to whom St. Peter developed, delivered his sermon on the first Christian Pentecost. The Acts of the Apostles, which we just heard in the epistle, describes them as Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. 
A great many of these people were pilgrims, men and women who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the great Jewish feast of Pentecost. Our Lord had died on the cross only a little over seven weeks before St. Peter delivered that sermon, and many of the people who listened to St. Peter must have been on their way to Jerusalem at the very time our Lord died. They had begun their pilgrimage as an act of worship in the Jewish religion at the very time when the Jewish religion was the one approved especially by God, and when the Jewish religious commonwealth was actually the supernatural kingdom of God on earth, the church of the Old Testament. These people as individuals probably had nothing whatsoever to do with the persecution and murder of the incarnate word. They had started on their journey as members of God's chosen people, the people of his covenant. Their journey to Jerusalem was made precisely in order to worship and honor God. They were truly devout individuals. Yet seven weeks before, the religious body to which they belonged had ceased to be God's church. The Jewish religious social unit had definitively rejected our Lord, the Messiah's promised in the Old Testament. This company had hitherto enjoyed its position as God's church by virtue of the fact it had accepted and professed its acceptance of the divine message about the promised Redeemer. In rejecting the Redeemer itself, himself, this social unit had automatically rejected the teaching God had given about him. The rejection of this message constituted abandonment of the divine faith itself. By manifesting this rejection of the faith, the Jewish religious unit fell from its position as the company of the chosen people. It was no longer God's church, his supernatural kingdom on earth. It had become part of the kingdom of Satan. While the great Jewish social unit was rejecting our Lord, the little company of the disciples, organized by our Lord around himself, around himself retained its faith. It continued to accept and to obey our Lord, and to believe the divinely revealed message that centered around him. Thus, at the moment of our Lord's death on Calvary, the moment when the old dispensation was ended and the Jewish religious association ceased to be the supernatural kingdom of God on earth, this recently organized society of our Lord's disciples began to exist as the kingdom of God on earth. This society was the true continuation of Israel, the men who were in it were the true sons of Abraham in that they had the genuine faith of Abraham. This society was the new association of the chosen people. Its members were, as St. Paul called them, the elect or the chosen of God. It was the true church or company of the faithful in the sense that no man could attain to eternal salvation unless he passed from this life within it. This organized society within which unworthy members would be intermingled with the good until the end of time was actually our Lord's own mystical body. So it was that when St. Peter spoke to the crowd on that first Christian Pentecost, the society of which he had been constituted the visible head was actually the Church of God. His hearers, who a few weeks before, weeks before had belonged to God's supernatural kingdom on earth, by means, by means of their membership in the Old Testament community, now actually found themselves in the perverse generation precisely by means of that same membership. 
When St. Peter first spoke to them, they were in a position from which they needed to be saved. They were no longer members of the chosen people. It's extremely important for us to remember that the people of St. Peter urged to save themselves from the perverse generation in which they were living were definitely not men of no religion at all. They were devout members of the establishment which had been less than eight weeks before God's supernatural kingdom on earth. In that establishment, they had learned love for God and zeal in his service. Many of them were so moved by zeal for the service of God, they were willing to travel very considerable distances and undergo serious hardships in order to assist at the temple sacrifice in Jerusalem during the days of the great feast of Pentecost. St. Peter did not recommend these, the church to these people merely as something far more perfect than the religious affiliation that they already possessed. On the contrary, St. Peter made it clear that it was necessary for them to transfer themselves from the perverse generation in which they then existed to a condition of salvation. The acceptance of his teaching was, in fact, an entrance into the church. It is in line with this teaching that St. Paul in his epistles refers to those within the church as saved. The entire context of the New Testament brings out the fact that by entering the church, men are actually being saved from the dominion of Satan, the prince of this world. St. Peter made it clear that in entering the church, the people to whom he was speaking on that first Christian Pentecost were really being saved. We must not lose sight of the fact that in our own day, there's sometimes a tendency to imagine that persons who are in a position comparable with that of the people to whom St. Peter's sermon was addressed are really in an acceptable position. In every age of the church, there's been one portion of Christian doctrine which men have been especially tempted to misconstrue or to deny. In our own times, it's that part of the Catholic truth which was brought out by special force and clarity by St. Peter in his first missionary sermon in Jerusalem. It is somewhat unfashionable today to insist, as St. Peter did, that those who are outside the true church of Jesus Christ stand in need of being saved by leaving their own positions and entering the church. Nevertheless, this remains part of God's own revealed message. It is a part of Catholic doctrine that entrance into the church actually by becoming a member of the church, and when this is impossible, at least by an implicit, though sincere desire or intention. Entrance to the church is part of the process of salvation. It is equally a part of Catholic teaching, however, that this is by no means the only part. A man is saved from the evil belonging to the kingdom of Satan by his entrance into the church, but this entrance in no way guarantees that he will actually enjoy the beatific vision for all eternity. The process of salvation is not fully completed. A man cannot be said to be saved in the full sense of the term until he's attained the beatific vision itself. Thus, despite the fact that it is possible for a man to be within the church and to lose his soul, salvation is itself a process which involves a social aspect. Everyone who's been born since the city of Adam, the exception, of course, of our Lord and his blessed mother, everyone has come into the world as a member of the fallen family of Adam, and thus 
as one who belongs to what St. Peter designated as the perverse generation, what Pope Leo XIII called the kingdom of Satan. The process of salvation is a process by which such men have been brought from that condition of aversion from God into the enjoyment of the beatific vision. Involved in that process by God's own institution is a transfer from the kingdom of Satan into the one supernatural kingdom of God on earth. Since the moment of our Lord's death on the cross, that kingdom has been, again, by God's own institution, the Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ on earth. Close quotes, Monsignor Flanton. It is extremely important for us to remember that the people at St. Peter urged to save themselves from the perverse generation in which they were living were definitely not men of no religion at all. They were devout members of the establishment which had been less than eight weeks before God's supernatural kingdom on earth. In that establishment, they had learned love for God and zeal in his service. Many of them were so moved by zeal for the purpose of service of God, they were willing to travel very considerable distances and undergo serious hardships in order to assist at the temple sacrifices. St. Peter didn't recommend the church to these people as something merely far more perfect than the religious affiliation they already possessed. No, he made it clear that it was necessary for them to transfer themselves from the perverse generation in which they then existed into a condition of salvation. The acceptance of that teaching was, in fact, entrance into the church. The entire context of the New Testament brings out the fact that by entering the church, men are actually being saved from the dominion of Satan, the prince of this world. St. Peter makes it clear that in entering the church, the people to whom he was speaking on that first Christian Pentecost were really being saved. In our day, there's sometimes a tendency to imagine that persons who are in a position comparable with that to the people to whom St. Peter was preaching are really in an acceptable position. It is unfashionable, to put it mildly, to insist, as St. Peter did, that those who are outside the true church of Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church, stand in need of being saved by leaving their own positions and entering the church. Unpopular or not, it remained part of the revealed message of God. Okay, let's review what we've seen on this topic over the course of the year. We've seen that it's a dogma of the Catholic faith that the Roman Catholic Church is actually the one and only supernatural kingdom of God on earth, the one and only institution outside of which no one at all is saved and outside of which there's no remission of sins. We've seen it's a great mystery that this visible society, this organization which so many bad members are mingled with the good, is actually the one and only supernatural kingdom of God on earth. We've seen this as one of the truths most frequently attacked in our own time. We see that this is a truth that we may be gravely tempted to overlook or pass over in order to make the teaching of the Catholic Church more acceptable to those who are not of the faith. We've seen that this infallible truth must be understood in the sense in which the church herself understands it. We've seen that Christ commands us to be incorporated by baptism into his mystical body, which is the church. 
We've also seen that Christ commands us to remain united to him and to the Pope, through whom Christ himself governs the church here on earth. We've seen that as a consequence, no one will be saved who, knowing full well that the church was divinely established by Christ, still refuses to submit to the church or withholds obedience from the Pope, the vicar of Christ on earth. We've seen that Christ the Lord decreed the church to be a means of salvation without which no one can enter the kingdom of eternal glory. We've seen that in order to be saved, it is not always required that a man be actually incorporated in the church as a member, but it is necessary that he be united to her by desiring, desire and longing at a minimum. We've seen that desire to belong to the church need not always be explicit, as it is in the case of catechumens, but that when a person is invincibly ignorant, God accepts an implicit desire, which is called implicit because it is included in that good disposition of soul whereby a person wishes his will to be conformed to the will of God. We've seen that baptism is absolutely necessary to salvation, for our Lord has expressly said, unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But the absence of sacramental baptism can be supplied by martyrdom, which is called a baptism of blood, or by an act of perfect love of God or perfect contrition, along with a desire at least implicit of baptism, and this is called the baptism of desire. We've seen there are four great truths of the faith which everyone who has the use of reason must know and believe in order to be saved. These four truths are one, there is one God. Two, God rewards the good and punishes the guilty. Three, there are three persons in the one God. And four, the second person, our Lord Jesus Christ, became man and died for our sins. We've seen this as the teaching of both scripture and tradition, also the teaching of those great doctors of the church, St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Alphonsus, and over the past three centuries, this teaching has been reaffirmed by Rome on at least three separate occasions. We've also seen that no one can go to heaven unless he's in the state of sanctifying grace, and that sanctifying grace is not caused by invincible ignorance. Invincible ignorance is not some kind of sacrament. Invincible ignorance cannot even dispose the soul for receiving sanctifying grace, much less give grace to the soul. Invincible ignorance has never been a means of grace or salvation, not even for the invincibly ignorant people that live up to their conscience. But we have seen that in the case of invincibly ignorant pe people that do live up to their conscience, as St. Thomas Aquinas teaches, God in his mercy will lead those souls to the knowledge of the necessary truths of salvation, either by sending a missionary to him, like he sent St. Peter to Cornelius, or even send them an angel if needs be to instruct them, rather than let them perish without their fall. And if they accept this grace, they will be saved as Catholics. Okay, that's a summary of what we looked at over the course of the year. There's a lot to ponder there. For now, let's just consider what are the practical implications for each one of us? What should we take away from this on this beautiful Pentecost Sunday? First, if we Catholics ever lead, leave the Catholic Church, we are moving ourselves from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of Satan. What does that mean? It means we can't be saved. If we leave the church, we can't be saved. Everyone needs to burn this into his mind. If I leave the Catholic Church, I can't be saved. I want to especially address the young people here right now. Priests aren't completely stupid. 
I'm fully aware that there are young people that come to Mass because your parents make you. And there are some of you that are toying with the idea of when you leave home, leaving all the Catholic stuff behind. For the love of God, for the salvation of your eternal soul, don't leave the church. Listen to me. Don't leave the church. If you leave the church, you can't be saved. If you leave the church, you can't be saved. Second, we're already in the kingdom of God. We have already been placed into the kingdom of God. We should all meditate on that. An undeserved mercy. Each one of us can think, how much God must love me. Each and every one of us here, that he's given us his priceless gift. He's taken us out of the kingdom of Satan, and he's placed us in the kingdom of God. And that's in spite of the fact that we're sinners. And that he knew we were going to sin. And he still loves us that much. He's taken each one of us out of the condition of being a child of wrath, born into the kingdom of Satan. And he's moved us out of that kingdom of darkness and confusion and bondage into the kingdom of light and grace and truth, the Holy Catholic Church. It's a pure mercy. It's a pure mercy, and even for all eternity, we can never be thankful enough. Third, since we're in the kingdom of God, the true church, that means God is with us. He's with us. He hasn't left us orphans. Not only is he with us there, the most blessed sacrament, the altar, which is just so amazing, it's unbelievable. Now let's say with us like that. When we're in the state of grace, He's present in the depths of our soul. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the most blessed Trinity is present in us. He's moved us from being children of wrath in the kingdom of Satan to such a position that we've become his temples. We've become temples of the living God. He's with us, so that means not only can we visit him in the tabernacle, but as long as we're in the state of grace, we can visit the most blessed Trinity just by simply turning inwards in prayer. Think of the dignity to which God has called us. He's moved us from being his enemies to becoming his temples. And we didn't do anything to deserve it, and a lot of things to not deserve it. Fourth, once we've been moved in this state of grace, once we've been given this supernatural life, sanctifying grace, there's really nothing that anyone has, has anything that, that we need to be afraid of except sin. We have nothing to be afraid of except sin, because that's the only thing that can separate us from God. The only thing that can separate us from God is sin, so we have nothing at all to be afraid of except sin. We need to ponder that. And fifth, and finally, these truths need to be acted on. 
what are we doing? What are we doing? Since God is with us, both in the most blessed sacrament of the altar and the depths of our soul, we have power. We've got supernatural power readily available. We have infused virtues, faith, hope, charity, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude. We have the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. We have supernaturally strengthened personalities, power from God himself, and we just have to use it. Ask him to strengthen you. Ask him to conform you more, more perfectly to him. Are we doing anything? Are we reaching out to those around us that are trapped in this perverse generation, that are locked in bondage in the kingdom of Satan? Are we reaching out? We got power, supernatural power. We just have to use it. We're not just supposed to sit there. This is the church militant. We're not supposed to just sit there and, and bask in the fact that we're Catholics. We're supposed to go out and take this message of hope, this message of truth, this message of love and freedom into a world locked in darkness and sin. We need to do that. Principally in our actions, that's the most important because words are cheap if you're not living the life. So the most important thing is to be living an authentic Catholic life, because that preaches way louder than anything we're going to say. But our words need to be there as well. The only thing we need to be afraid of is sin. And if we don't throw a lifeline to the folks that God has placed in our path, then who will? We've got something they need. We've got something they want, even if they don't know it yet. We've been placed in the kingdom of God we want them to have what we've got. Now, it's not some kind of giant argument that's going to do that. You don't make people Catholic by clobbering them. It's pretty easy to win an argument and lose a soul. So we need to know the argument, so I'm not against that. But we want to do it in the right way. Prayer, we need to be gentle. We need to be gentle, but we need to do something. If you discover the cure for cancer... Would you keep it a secret? We got the cure for hell. We have the cure for hell, and it's the only cure for hell. Don't keep it a secret. Pray and do something. We've got to be gentle, but we've got to do something. Don't worry about getting it right. God works with broken instruments. That's the whole notion of the priesthood, isn't it? Don't worry about getting it right. God's with us. Just do the best you can. That's all we can do. Let's close. If we leave the Catholic Church, we can't be saved. We're already in the kingdom of God. God is with us, and we're in the state of grace. We're his temples. The only thing that can separate us from God is sin, so that's the only thing that we really need to fear. We've got supernaturally strengthened personalities, and we need to use them to reach out, to bring the good news to the folks that God places in our paths. Each one of us can say, God has placed me in his kingdom, the Catholic Church, and I don't deserve it. He's given me the means of salvation, 
He expects me to try to help those around me. What have I been doing about this? What am I doing? What will I do?